All right, we're here with Abiding Life Studios. My name is Noah Wells. Today in the studio, I have Betty Wells. Hello. And Chad Salen. Hello, everyone. And on the phone today in Arizona, we have Kathleen Beard, and she's going to talk to us a little bit. And our background with Kathleen is that she has written a book called Into the Mist about her last few years with her husband who had dementia, and it's ministered to a lot of people. And Kathleen has been a friend of Abiding Life Ministry since way before then, and she speaks at our women's retreats. But this year, she was unable to come to our retreat. We asked her to please present for us the teaching that she had prepared for the women's retreat. So, Kathleen? Okay. So, this, uh, yeah, well, I was supposed to do this talk for the women's retreat. It's, it's First of all, it's wonderful to be here with you guys. Uh, you're having a great time, and we're all having a great time. And I'm just honored that, uh, that I've been able to do this. A lot of the women at the retreat were very disappointed, and so when uh, when I met Noah and he said, how about if we do a podcast, and I told some of the women, and they said, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. So here we are, and we're finally getting to do the, the story that I had written for the, the women's retreat. I call it Permission to Lament, and it's something, this is something I've been mulling over for a couple of years, and it finally kind of came together this past August, this past summer, and uh, that's why I was, I was ready to, re- to present it. Uh, as, as Betty said, I'm a widow, and, and I've had opportunity over the years to meet with many widows, and I find that we share many of the same experiences. Um, I don't compare the grief of widowhood to the grief of the loss of a parent or a child or a friend or even to divorce, because all of us have suffered losses over the years, some more than others. And certainly before we get off this planet, we're all going to face loss in one form or another, varying degrees. And over the years, as I've been thinking about loss and suffering, there's a few things that I, that I observe. And one of those is the fact that grief, what I call lament, is not always understood uh, by believers the way that I think it should be sometimes. I'm not sure if it's just me or if it just seems like sometimes in the body of Christ today, we're, we're kind of losing the subject, the, the whole idea uh, of lamenting. And I'm not sure why, maybe because it feels contrary to what all Christians are supposed to experience at all times. We're all supposed to experience the joy of the Lord. Uh, or maybe it's because we're, we get too uncomfortable uh, being around somebody who's grieving. But I, I'm here to say that the joy of the Lord and the subject of lamenting are not in opposition to each other. In fact, as those who abide in Christ, surely we can't miss out on the fact that Jesus experienced both lamenting and joy, and he did it simultaneously. And we can't miss it when reading through the Old Testament and we see the stories of the men and women who experienced just every emotion in the book. Kathy, yeah, they never I just, left behind the joy of the Lord. Yes, yeah. it's a it's a great point actually. As as you were saying that, I was just thinking about all the churches that I've been to and 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 have been to around the world and all the different denominations. I don't know that I've ever heard anybody read from uh, Lamentations in in the Bible. <laughs> um, ah, so, well, so you hear it today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this will be a breath of fresh air. So that's a great point you brought up. Good, good. I'm glad. I'm glad. You know, uh, I, I, besides Lamentations, I, I want to bring up David, 
because if David were alive today, I always joke about this, but it's true, he'd be heavily medicated for bipolar disorder because (laughs) his ups and downs are legendary. Uh, David poured out his true heart to God. You know, he lamented that things were not right with the world, and he lamented over his own failures, and through it all, he just kept coming back to the same thing. He would start out with, why are you downcast on my soul? But he always seemed to end with, nevertheless, I will trust in the God of my salvation. And as you were just saying, Noah, Jeremiah happens to be one of my favorite prophets. And God had told Jeremiah that he knew him before he was born, and that God had called Jeremiah while he was even still in his mother's womb to be a prophet to the nation of Israel. And he was given an assignment by God that was just seemingly impossible, because the call that God was putting into Jeremiah's mouth was that he would be sent to the leaders of Israel, to the kings and to the prophets and to the uh, religious leaders of Israel and Judah, to tell them that the sin of the nation of Israel had become so great that God was going to send all the inhabitants of Israel into exile, into the evil kingdom of Babylon. And they weren't to fight for their country. They, they had to submit and go willingly into captivity. They had never done that before. And throughout the book, you see Jeremiah lamenting over his country. In fact, the book following Jeremiah, as we know, is the Lamentations of Jeremiah. And, and we see recorded in there from the weeping prophet, the, the lamenting of Jeremiah, the, leapy, the, the weeping prophet. But when you read Jeremiah carefully, you find that God himself was also lamenting. And I've read through Jeremiah and Lamentations many times, and there's some things that I, that, that I find not just in Jeremiah, but other, other men and women of God that resonate with me. And one of those is uh, the way God deals with those upon whom he's placed an important call, and then how the recipients of that call interact with God. And, and I find that there is this, what I call a, a holy boldness, contrasted with deep humility. And it seems like an oxymoron, but it really isn't. It's a picture to me of, of what real relationship is, the kind of relationship that honors God. Because as prophets and as men and women, they weren't yes men and women parodying from a script. They weren't mamby-pamby men and women telling them what they think he wants to hear. And I don't know about you, I'm sure you guys have experienced this, but I have found myself at times praying what I think God wants to hear instead of what's really going on in my deepest heart. And sometimes maybe I find myself avoiding my very real emotions and real reactions to Mm -hmm. the things that God allows into my life. And and so we fake fine. We fake praise and thanksgiving. But we see David and, and many of the prophets, they didn't back away from owning their emotions about what was happening in the world and, and in their lives. They owned their emotions, but then they chose, it's a choice, to hope and praise God. They had the holy boldness, but their awe of God and who God was was never violated by their boldness. It was never irreverent. It was just honest. You know, we see it in Abraham. He's crying out to God, will not the God of all the earth do right? And then we see it in Jacob. I, I will not. I will not let you go until you bless me. And Moses says, "If you don't go with us, we won't go up." And, and then we see it in Mary and Martha. Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. And, and over 
uh, as I've been kind of mulling this over, I, I've been thinking over the last many years, we've been watching our country fall deeper and deeper into depravity and and falling away from the things that we've always trusted in. And at times, I I find myself lamenting. And and there's a, a verse in Isaiah where Isaiah says of Israel, truth is fallen in the streets and justice is turned away backwards. And it, it causes me to cry out, even as Jeremiah cried, as he said, oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. He says that I will take up a weeping and a wailing for the mountains and for the dwelling places of the wilderness, a lamentation. And and reading this, what you 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 go on, and you think, well, well, what is God's response to this crying out of Jeremiah? Does is God saying, you know, you know, Jeremiah, buck up, you know, I'm in control. Don't you have enough faith? But instead, here's what God's response is. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider a call for the mourning women, that they may come, and send for skillful wailing women, that they may come. Let them make haste and take up a wailing for us that our eyes may run with tears and our eyelids gush with water. Yet hear the word of the Lord, O women, and let your ear receive the word of his mouth. Teach your daughters wailing and everyone her neighbor a lamentation. So you hear that? You catch what's happening? God is calling for wailing women because God was lamenting and he's lamenting through them. That's all a part of Christ in us. He also laments through us. He grieves. Now, give a word of encouragement to those who are mourning. God weeps over his creation. And, and when our grief over the events in our lives spill out over into an almost wailing lament, he's weeping with us. When our children go astray, we can hear him tell us, I too have children who are in rebellion against me and have rejected me. I'm weeping. And when we suffer the loss of a dear loved one, he he weeps with us. He laments with us. He calls for the wailing women to come and weep with us. And in those tears, there's healing. When all of our dreams are dashed against the rocks and we sit alone, like Job, he sits with us and he quietly understands and he enters in with us and he allows us to feel the full brunt of our emotional responses. But then he raises us up and he gives this call, stand therefore. And, and he sends us back out into the battle and he goes on ahead of us and he prepares the way for the next thing, the next trial, the next assignment. And there's times when it feels like he's not there at all, but there he is ahead of us in a pillar of fire and he calls back, follow me, just keep following me. There is the lament and then there's the comfort and then there's the leaning down and lifting us back up and the call to mount up and go forth, to press on. We, as believers, sometimes get that backwards. We want to tell people to buck up, press on, but we're ignoring the very real emotional pain that they might be experiencing. I've had a deep sorrow in my heart for the past seven years. It's uh, an un- unhealed soul wound. And most of the time I've been able to press on past it and push it down. But there's been times when the sorrow and the grief over this cry of my heart just pushes past all of my attempts to to push it down. And it's like a bully. And and for a while I might be overcome with it. And 
I'm, I'm well acquainted with grief, and I understand it. I understand that it's no use to try to push grief out of the way or to push it down when it tries to rise up. But for the past seven years, that's exactly what I've been trying to do is just keep busy, keep pushing it out of the way. You know, it should be getting better, shouldn't it? Or, you know, the question comes up, do, do I not have enough faith? I mean, that, that's how I'm supposed to I'm supposed to have the joy of the Lord. But there's this mind, mindset today that sort of encourages us to always be positive and cheerful and never letting on that there might be a deep hidden place in our hearts where we feel that God hasn't answered. And, and sometimes we make excuses for it, almost like we need to defend God. I mean, if God has left this thing unanswered for so long, then we have to defend it. We have, there, must be, there must be a reason. There must be something he wants to teach us, right? Or there's some deep hidden thing he's trying to reveal, and we're just not getting it. And, and there's been volumes written to explain away, you know, God's reasons for not answering or for his delays. And, and most of what's written is true. It's, it's good stuff. But, you know, what about those prayers? And, and I, I know people who feel this way, that we know to be his will. I know this prayer was his will. And, and those prayers that go for long years with no sign from God that he's even heard, much less answered. Uh, Oswald Chambers one time called it the fear that our hero won't come through. And it's here that, that our inner struggle sometimes gets waged, and in that struggle there sometimes rises up some silent accusations against God, accusing him of not caring about the deep pain in our heart. Or it's here that there's, there is like a stalker of feelings of such discouragement that our prayers actually become paralyzed. There's feelings of abandonment and loneliness that rise to the surface, and they come, and they steal, and they kill, and they destroy. And what is it that gets killed, stolen, and killed, and destroyed? It's joy. It's hope. And since the Bible is filled with so many great men and women of God who were not always joyful, men and women who suffered and took the grieving heart to the only one who fully understood, to God himself, then I think we've got some things to learn from them. And what we have to learn is how to weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who rejoice. Here's the key. It's not our job to try to keep everyone cheered up all the time. And when someone has faced a great loss and they're still grieving some years later, it's not our job to give a little lecture on how we need to just get over it, just move on and, you know, throw out a few scripture verses. No, Jesus is saying, Weep with them. And not long ago, a couple of years ago, I made the decision to not ignore that pain that I had been experiencing for so long. And I made a decision that if God wasn't going to answer this prayer, then please, God, could you at least heal the soul wound? And, and so I went into his secret place, and I just started to cry it all out. Not that I hadn't done that before, but this time, I don't know, there was just something different about what was happening. And it was suddenly as though Jesus was sitting right there with me, and he was saying to me, I know what you're feeling. I know. I understand. And you can talk to me. You can tell me anything. And I wasn't asking him why he hadn't answered. I wasn't demanding answers. I was just laying the thing out and telling him how it all feels and that I wish I understood or maybe had some insight into his ways. I fell asleep then knowing that something big had transpired between us. And the following morning, I continued uh, w with this whole thing, and I felt 
again, his presence, and I felt him grieving with me. I felt him leaning in and hearing and understanding my deep pain as I laid it all before him. He wasn't flooding me with scripture verses to fix it. He was just listening, and he understood. I read something recently that really struck me and kind of ties in with all of this, and the writer, I wish I could remember where I, I saw it, but the writer said, sometimes it's, it's as if Jesus pulls up a chair across from us and takes our hands in his and looks straight into our eyes and says, tell me what happened to you. And that's, that's how it was for me at, at that time. And I went to church that night, and as often happens when we've had an encounter with Jesus, he kind of goes on and he confirms that, yeah, this this was me. I was there. And, and he confirms it. And in the sermon, the pastor was speaking about examining our soul. And he asked the question, how is our soul? Well, that's just what had been happening with me and Jesus. He was examining my soul. And I so I came home from that that service feeling really uplifted and encouraged that God had spoken through that sermon to sort of affirm that, that what had happened the night before between us was, was the, the real deal. And then, again, the following morning, I read a blog post, and again, I wish I had her name, but it, it again affirmed what Jesus was speaking and that he was speaking this thing into my soul. He wanted, he wanted to get it in there. He was examining my soul. He was giving me permission to lament. And this blog was written by a woman who had grown up, and she had been shuffled around to various courtrooms while her parents fought over custody. Uh, she just had years of grief, years of never finding joy, years of never being able to trust anyone. And, and she'd been reading uh, the author Ann Voskamp's book, The Broken Way, and I, I just jotted down a few of the things that I felt that God was speaking to me as I read this blog. And, and the blog was titled, A New Way to Pray how to talk to God when you're broken. And I'll use some of the quotes from Anna and some from the, the blogger. Uh, and after the blogger is relating all the pain in her life, she, she quotes from Voskamp, and it, she says, the broken way begins with this lost art of lament. And until we authentically lament to God, we'll never feel authentically loved by God. And then again, the wounds that never heal are always the ones mourned alone. And uh, lament is not a meaningless rage, but a rage that finds meaning in his outrageous love. And a blogger, realizing that she had spent years burying her pain and never sharing it for fear that other believers would you know, tell her to just move on, she writes, in the moment, I just wanted to suck it up to be stronger but I was unable to silence my cry. What kind of Christian silences heartache? What kind of Christian is unmoved by death? Christians ought to be the first ones crying out that this world is not as it should be. And then quoting Ann Voskamp again, she says, when, when we fake fine, we fake our way out of authentic relationship with God, with others and ourselves. But lament an honest expression of grief is a prayer that God never silences nor wastes. It's an authentic prayer that invites God to meet us right where we are, not where we pretend to be. It's the language of the faithful, for we know the one who holds our pain. And he never silences our cries. Even more than that, he cries with us. 
There would be seasons for each of us when we lament alone. But isolation for all of us is never our destination. Real strength is not pretending we are fine and keeping others at a safe distance. Real strength is letting others into our brokenness. Real strength is confessing we need God's rescue over and over and over again, for God loves us all too much to lament without rescue. And I love that real strength is letting others into our brokenness. See, Jesus prayed in his high priestly prayer that we would all be one as he and the Father are one, and that we would have his joy fulfilled in us, and that our joy would be full. So what is this joy that he's speaking about? Well, it's his joy. It's not something that we pump up or try to get worked up to. It's, it's supernatural. And what was his joy? Well, I, I think Hebrews 12 kind of explains it, where it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Joy is on the other side of the cross. And the joy that is on the other side of the cross can't be faked. And Paul tells us that he longed to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Knowing him and walking in the power of his resurrection, it's all wrapped up in the fellowship of his sufferings. It's a package deal. And when we have his joy in the midst of our weeping, that's supernatural, and that can't be faked. You see, the deal is James tells us to weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who rejoice. And before I began the cycle of, of loss and grief, if someone came to me, you know, someone who was suffering or grieving or all out of answers, I could come up with some favorite scripture, and, and I could come up with scriptures to remind them that God is in control and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I, I would tell them that I'd, I would pray for them and maybe... I would even pray with them right then, but, you know, I'd soon forget that encounter, and, and I would forget to pray. Why? Because I had to experience what they were experiencing. And so I could not weep with those who weep. Well, God has seen to it that I've done some weeping over the last 17 years, and with each loss, though the pain might be greater and deeper, I can now weep with those who have lost a husband. I can weep with those whose child has gone astray. I can really weep with someone who's taking care of an aging parent. Do I just toss out my memorized scripture verses now and say a quick prayer? Well, hopefully not, because weeping with those who weep means entering into their sorrow. It means that my tears that God says he stores in his bottle, they get spilled out and they get mingled with someone else's tears. When God says that the trial's we encounter are meant to be used to bring comfort to others who might be encountering something similar. You know, take that to heart. He means it. Because here's the beautiful thing. In Psalm 84, it's a beautiful psalm of thanksgiving to God. But there's this little truth tucked into verse 6, and it says, Passing through the valley of weeping, he makes it a refreshing spring. He, Jesus, makes all of our valleys of weeping into refreshing springs, springs that will flow out of us and into others, bringing healing to their wounded souls. Our tears and our weeping are not, it's not a, a morbid, whiny recounting of all the loss and pain that we've experienced. 
Our tears and our weeping are refreshing springs for others to drink deeply from. But we have to let them turn that valley of weeping into refreshing springs, or it'll just become a dead sea filled with toxic, toxic stagnant water. As I was preparing a, a talk for a group of women earlier this year, this little verse jumped out at me in a really remote place where you wouldn't expect to find it. It's Ezekiel eleven sixteen, And God, again, to one of the prophets, is telling Ezekiel, terrible times are coming to Israel. They're going to be removed from their beloved Israel and from their beloved temple. And he says to Ezekiel, like, uh, like, like a, a dear, sweet father, gently says, Ezekiel, tell them this, tell them this. Yet, I will be to them a little sanctuary in the countries where they shall go. Jesus is our little sanctuary wherever we're sent. Jesus is our refreshing spring in the valley of weeping. And he is enough. He's enough. And, and I leave you uh, here with one of my favorite quotes from A.J. Ironside. And he says, God is not looking for brilliant men. Is not depending upon eloquent men. Is not shut up to the use of talented men and sending his gospel out into the world. God is looking for broken men who have judged themselves in the light of the cross of Christ. When he wants anything done, he takes up men who have come to the end of themselves and his confidence is not in themselves, but in God. And that, that, that's the abiding life, is it not? So... Thanks for letting me share this with you today. Thank you, Kathleen. It was just great. And it made me remember how much you helped me when I became a widow. You wrote some wonderful things to me, and our friendship and mm. sisterhood ever since has been such a joy and blessing to me. But I think, yes, you're, so, I think you're so right that we always put on a happy face and... The, the dumb thing is, God knows us. He knows every single thing about <laughs> us. We're not being real if we don't pour out our hearts in lamentation to him. And that's how we right. grow in, in intimacy, not only with God, but also with one another, is when we're real with one another mm -hmm. and share those things that happen to us that are <laughs> making mm -hmm. us so blue. And I, I, I was struck yesterday listening at the end of Luke when Jesus had been resurrected, but he had not yet uh, revealed himself to the disciples. He was walking with a couple of believers on the road, and he said, oh, you're so slow. i sorry for the terrible paraphrase, but he said, oh, you're so slow of heart to believe. Didn't the Christ have to come and suffer? And it just hit me th that mm. uh, if, if the Christ had to come and suffer, then who do we think we are when we don't think we have to suffer. Right. And so suffering yeah. is part mm. of the Christian life. And he told us in the world we would have trouble, but he's overcome the world. So obviously we need to be in tune with one another and in the suffering that we're doing and and bear one another's burdens and, and go through that with them. So right. amen yeah, to everything you said, Kathleen. Amen. Yeah, Betty, Thank even you. as uh, we were talking yesterday, you were, I can't remember where that scripture was that you were referring to. Um, but it talked about the need to suffer in order to die to self, right? And so suffering is needed to, mm. to die to self. And, uh, and I think mm. that was a great, a, a really good point. Uh, Kathleen, I just had a couple couple things that have come to me just as you were speaking. really appreciated what you had to say. And uh, 
it really ministered to me actually i wrote a quite a few things down trying to keep up with you <laughs> but um <laughs> yeah, lots of luck. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly exactly um but one of the verses that came to mind when you're talking about you know his word springing in us right and is is in john 4, 4 john four fourteen, where he says but whoever drinks of the water that i will give him will never be thirsty mm. again the water that i give him yeah. will in him become a well springing to eternal life and um right. and so i really like that imagery that that jesus gives us there um the other question that i had um for you and and um and that just came to my mind because i think i've been asked it um in the different um, places that i've been and and uh and i just would like to hear your response to this question um when does lamenting become a complaint and uh because in scripture it talks about um right if we're we're really complaining. We're complaining against the Lord, and so the Scripture talks about complaining, yeah. and uh, and I think that's a, a it's a very valid question to ask, and I think that's what mm-hmm. uh, the Christian Church today uh, um, fears in that, if for lack of a better word, fears or is concerned about, is that um, is I don't want to complain. Scripture talks uh, against complaining. Uh, so when does our lamenting? Um, how would you answer that? When does our lamenting? Um, become a complaint because I really I really like what you said we have permission to lament and I like that and I I, I like how you said it's okay it's okay to mourn the things that are not right in this world like death it's it's okay Mm -hmm. to mourn Mm -hmm. that Um, um, because it's you know we ultimately believe that there's something better than that and and uh, and so if you could answer that question for us or at least give me your thoughts on it and I don't know if you've been asked that before but when again when does lamenting turn into complaining Okay, I have uh, not not that I've been asked, but uh, over the years I've I've experienced that very thing, and and here's what I've come to to think about it. And I, I had this one person who, you know, every time they called, they just they just dumped, you know, they just just uh, vomited their yeah. their complaint and their yeah. lamenting, and and uh, I I you, you go away feeling drained, you know, like they, something just is drained out of you. It becomes complaint. If you cannot at the end, like David did, say, nevertheless, this is mm. what Jesus is speaking to me. Nevertheless, he is he's with me. You know, it's, it's when all you can do is just give the lament without bringing him into it. Uh, I, I teach in, in uh, Abiding Life when, um, I, I don't remember where I came up with this or where I saw it, but we call it the holy but. So the holy but is... Uh, the, the unholy but is when you say, yes, I know that God is with me, but, you know, I, he, you don't know what I'm going through. That's unholy. But when you say, when you say, I'm going through this, but God is speaking to me. God is working to me. God is, God is still here. That, that changes the whole perspective to me. So if it's a, it's a complaint when, when there's no, no mention of Jesus in it at all, it's just, wanting to share their story again and again and again and again. And they can never get enough of sharing the story. But if you try to bring them back around and bring Jesus into the equation, a lot of times they don't, they don't want to hear that, yeah, you yeah. know, because they just want to complain. Yeah. No, and I think a lot of times that uh, when self is still so much in play, the complaining is just, woe is me, uh, I want mm-hmm. myself to be validated, I want someone yeah. to say, oh, poor you, when right. the lament is humbly before the Lord, pouring out the heart, as you said, of what is hurting you, 
but nevertheless, thy will, not my will. Right, right. Yeah, that's I, tricky. That's hard stuff. It is. Yeah, yeah. I, I really like what what uh, what you both were saying, and and I agree with you because I, I've been asked that question in counseling, a, a similar on a similar track, at least, anyways, um, where ha, where I get asked, Chad, how will I know when I'm over this? You know, how will I know when I've when I've come through this? And and my simple answer is mm-hmm. because because you'll have peace. You'll just have peace in it all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Romans mm-hmm. eight says, "Those who walk in the Spirit will have life and peace." And um, right. and and you're right. When you're complaining, I like that. It's draining. It's physically, mentally, mm-hmm. emotionally draining. But uh, mm-hmm. wouldn't you agree with me? I think we, I think we almost believe that that lamenting and uh, and peace run on the same track, opposing each other, coming at each other. Where I think those two things yeah. can run parallel. Can they not? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I agree and, with that. Yeah, I, and, and speaking of of the of the scar or the the the, the when well, I know. I like what Beth Moore said one time. She says, "You you when you have a wound, it's it's open and it hurts to touch it. Uh, when it becomes a scar, it's still there. You can see it, but it doesn't hurt. You can kind of poke at it, and it doesn't hurt. Yeah. And I think that that grief can become a, a scar. Hmm. You know, it's never going to go away." But it can become a scar, so it's not it's not just an open bleeding wound anymore. Yeah, the the scar remains, right? And I remember this mm-hmm. couple that I had met with. Um, they were a far, they were on a farm in uh, the middle of Saskatchewan, Canada, <laughs> and uh, and they said they had lost their daughter at 16 years of age in a in a vehicle mm-hmm. accident, and um, and they said uh, the worst thing that it got communicated to them is the neighbors came over um, a couple months later, and, and they said, "Are you over it yet?" <laughs> and, uh, and that just uh, hurt. yeah they said it's never something you get over and and just no. the phrase that that came to my mind is that the scar will always remain um but it, it mm-hmm. does get healed and uh and i right. like that you can poke at it you know prod at it yeah but, you know the scar is there but it doesn't hurt, doesn't hurt like before right right and one thing we I were agree. talking about earlier uh yes lamenting and peace can run parallel with one another but complaining and peace cannot. We were just talking to Alex Matthew, mm. and he was saying that complainers will never find peace, and it's not until they learn to praise and have a grateful heart mm. that their complaining mm-hmm. heart Amen. will stop blocking the peace. And lamenting may be pouring out your complaints to the Lord, but it never ends there. It uh, right. A true lament will turn to praise to the Lord, and ideally, even learning to praise him for the very things that are hurting you, because that yes. does knock mm-hmm. the legs out from under your flesh life and your self life and and really yes. shows how much you do trust the Lord, no matter what he's allowing into your life. You mm-hmm. trust him that he is working for your best good. Yeah, it's funny. Mm-hmm. No, no one. I had this discussion on, on my last visit when I was back here in June and. And it's funny, Noah was bringing up, um, no, I can't remember who you're referring to, but but uh, it's just funny, you know, We a relationship means that you share everything. And it's kind of funny, mm-hmm. but we don't want to share our laments, uh, you know, because we're using that word. We don't want to share our laments, 
our hurts and our pain, maybe because of shame, maybe because we feel Mm -hmm. we're going to disappoint God. But a relationship means we share everything, right? It's okay. And I like what you're Mm -hmm. saying. You're giving, you're giving believers permission or everybody for that matter, permission to, Mm -hmm. to lament to God. And like we said about David, you know, I mean, he's the ultimate (laughs) up and down guy, right? And, uh, and, and he had no problem sharing everything with the Lord. And a relationship means that even, even if it's not, you know, spiritual, as as, as they say. You yeah. Know, just, Lord, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm feeling. I can't help it. My feelings are feelings. They're neither true nor right. false. It's how I'm feeling. And, and I'm in relationship exactly. with you. And I can tell you, my heart's hurting. I, I'm I'm really yeah. hurting here. And, and I'm wondering, where are you in that? You know, and, mm-hmm. and to be real about that, I think is helpful mm-hmm. in moving on mm-hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, or moving forward, yeah. at least. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Yes, because yes. he's the only one who can heal you. I mean, really. Absolutely. Uh, mm. You can go to counselors all your life. And well, I, I, I used this example last night, actually, in my Bible study on the body and life. And I, I used the example of Mike going into the to the uh, the insane asylum or institution, oh. and the man was, you know, <laughs> complaining. And, or, or the other one where Mike, or the guy's been beat with the barbed wire and. You know, the, the unorthodox ways that Mike counseled <laughs> always make me laugh. Uh-huh. <laughs> You're boring me to death. Uh-huh. <laughs> Mike had discernment, well, here's, if nothing uh, the else. The window's open. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the no, window's open. Jump out. Yeah. Right. yeah, here, have a go at it. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Well, so yeah. that's how sometimes we have to do Kathleen, yes. we can't thank you enough uh-huh. for talking to us, and hopefully we'll get to chat again because we've thoroughly enjoyed okay. this. We we hope to talk to you again. Thanks, Kathy. Really appreciate okay. uh, the words and the revelation that God brought to you. I know it's really it's ministered thank to me you. here today just listening, and I know for all our listeners out there, I know they're going to be ministered to. So thanks for giving up your time. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Thank yeah, you so much thank for you asking so much. me. Thank you, Noah. And you you know we love you. Yeah, we love you very much. And I love you, too. <laughs> and I love you, too. And meeting Noah this last summer was kind of the icing on the cake. So. <laughs> well, it'll be even better Thanks when you so. meet Chad. <laughs> yes. yes. I don't know about that, but. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks, you guys. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you a million. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay, we'll Bye-bye. talk soon. Bye. Bye. That is the ending of Kathleen Beard and... Again, she's the author of Into the Mist, and it's about her husband's dementia in his last few years. Yeah, what an amazing story. I'm really happy she shared all that with us. Mm -hmm. A lot to chew on. Mm -hmm. So we'll hear from you, or you'll hear from us again. Thanks for tuning in. Goodbye. Bye.